Welcome to Insight Talks, a podcast hosted by MedEngine, where we invite extraordinary individuals from within the field of pharma and healthcare to discuss and examine timely topics that are shaping the world around us. This bonus episode was originally filmed as a pilot for the whole series, and it is all about the rapidly developing field of bioinformatics. In this episode, we get to discuss with an expert we are privileged to call our colleague Harlan Barker, data scientist at MedEngine. Okay, welcome to Inside Talks, Harlan. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Your field is bioinformatics. That's correct. Yeah. So what uh, is that in practice and what's, what people should know about it? Uh, in practice, in bioinformatics, we use um, coding and lots of different softwares that enable us to deal with large data sets. So there's really a lot of different ways to come at it from the strictly biological side. Uh, we have a lot of people who start in biology and move uh, towards the coding side. And we have people who start strictly with computational stuff, uh, computer science, and move towards biology. So there's really kind of a broad uh, spectrum of uh, talents there and uh, tools that are being used in, in this regard. Yeah. So it's, it's basically inter intersection of biology, statistics, and computer science. Exactly. Those are the three main yeah. fields there. Yeah. So how do you manage to get such a, such a broad skill set that is needed? Do you need to have a several degrees or, or how does it work? It definitely takes some time. I think that anybody, as I mentioned, a lot of times people come from one direction or another. Nowadays, you can do a strictly bioinformatics or computational biology degree. But when I started my bachelor's degree, there was only computer science and biology separate. So I did kind of both um, and then eventually came in that direction. But I think for us old school people, it maybe you start out in one, in one end and work your way towards the center or work your way towards the other end. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff you have to learn, but there's definitely room on either end and in the middle for people to operate strictly there without learning everything, because it is so much to learn. Yeah. So you have to kind of choose and take your time and then move forward. And of course, it's exciting times now in biology. We have all the new laboratory techniques, which produce a huge amounts of uh, biological data all the time. And, right. and rate is something we couldn't imagine like 20 years or even 10 years ago. Right. So what would you say are the most exciting developments in your field currently? For me, well, and probably for everyone, it's just this personalized medicine. Um, the idea that we can sequence the genome of uh, people, and by that I mean their, their genetic code, the A, C, T, and G. Maybe for our audience I should explain that. So, so once we know what their DNA is like, we identify places where there are mutations that look different from everyone else, and does that mutation, is that the cause of their cancer? So personalized medicine is, is that in a nutshell. You sequence their DNA and you see what might be wrong with them, what gene might be broken, and then you can see what medicines we have that we know that work with that particular broken protein or broken gene. Yeah, there seems to be a kind of a constant hype around genetics. Uh, but do you think that uh, genetics or genomics have... Uh, uh, really provided uh, to answers that have been promised for, for such a long time? Or how do you see the field? 
uh, I think that we're, I think we've seen a, a lot of progress. I, I guess the basic answer would be yes. Uh, but to go a little farther, I would say that at this point, even though we're so, was it 2001 or so when we had the Human Genome Project, uh, we still don't sequence so many people. Like the, there's the Cancer Genome Atlas. And in, in that, I think there's, most of the projects have less than a thousand people sequenced for that particular type of cancer. And that's one of the largest projects in the world in that regard. So I think that once we start looking at larger numbers of genome sequence and like healthy people as well as uh, cancer tumor samples, that we'll start, we'll have a lot more information about uh, those particular diseases and much better ability to, to fight them. So, so we've come a long way, but what we do now is still quite small, I would say. Yeah. yeah. So in 10 or 15 years, it'll be a much different, a much different scenario. And even now, they're just uh, these uh, whole genome sequencing. It's like a thousand dollars. I had mine sequenced not too long ago on sale for three hundred euros or something. Yeah. So I think we've just reached the point where it starts to be commercially viable for people to get their own genome sequence yeah. or their cancer if they have it. Another area of hype currently is is. Uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning and all this stuff uh, which of course relates to to uh, your work as well or yeah. your field. Uh, yeah. um, what do you think how this will change uh, uh, bioinformatics and, and the way we do biological research? Yeah well it'll massively change everything because right now we have so much data but moving forward when we have everyone getting their genome sequenced we're going to have hundreds, thousand times more data. And it's just not, um, for an individual to sift through that data, it's just not possible. We need these advanced algorithms that will look for features inside multi-dimensional data and be able to see what's common between them. Because yeah. we, as humans, our brains aren't, we're just not capable of looking at things at that high of a dimensionality. Yeah. So we need these tools, they're still, quite elementary, I think, uh, compared to where they will be by the time that we're sequencing uh, everyone's genome. But uh, it's already making kind of big inroads into the data and finding things that are important. We discussed, di discussed about um, uh, new developments and exciting things, but uh, what yeah. would you say would be then the main challenges that, that there are in the field? Mm. Um, so I mentioned the like personalized medicine or person, personal genomics. I guess uh, there's going to be so much data. Um, uh, I mentioned the Cancer Genome Atlas earlier, and that has something like two petabytes, two and a half petabytes. So it's like 2,500 terabytes. And that's just the data for like 2,000 people or so. Mm -hmm. So if we think about the US or people in Europe like this becoming widespread, we're talking about many orders of magnitude of more data. So that's a really big concern. And then when we talk about things like machine learning, those uh, models aren't uh, computationally cheap. So it takes a long time to mm -hmm. actually compute those, uh, compute those models. So those are our big things. Storage and organization and computational power are really huge, big concerns. But do you think there's a, a lot of emphasis on, on the quantity of the data? 
and number of patients in the studies and, and so forth? Uh, do we put enough uh, emphasis on the quality of the data? I, I think there's many different levels there of data to look at, or like uh, so many different pieces of that puzzle. So some things I think have very, very high quality and some things will have less. Uh, the places where there's room for human error, I think we end up seeing a lot more variability than the areas where we don't. Um, and then uh, some of the laboratory methods like this RNA-seq or whole ge genome sequencing, there's certainly room for error there, even though most of it's done inside a machine. Uh, if, it, if, if it's aimed in the wrong direction when you set it off, then you're going to get a completely bad result. Um, but I think in general, the more data we have, the more robust the model becomes to these errors. So we don't, we should worry about this, certainly, <laughs> a lot. But as we get more and more data, we have to worry less about it, in a way. I also heard that you recently got interested in uh, integrating neonatal DNA into modern human DNA or, or and that uh, research. Mm. So what can we learn from that to, to medical science or, or uh, human biology overall? Well, just to be clear, you said integrating it. I'm not trying to actively integrate <laughs> <laughs> Neanderthal DNA okay. into human DNA. That's a good clarification. <laughs> Keep us safe here. Uh, no human experiments. But um, yeah, I'm trying to understand how our DNA is different than theirs, um, specifically related to gene regulation, because generally speaking, our genes are the same. There's very, very little difference bet between our DNA and or our genes. And, and Neanderthal genes. But there is a lot of difference in these regulatory regions. And um, I, I think like the idea that uh, modern humans are smarter than Neanderthals were is incorrect, but our brains were probably different in some ways. We maybe were a bit more social and that's, and they actually probably might've been a bit smarter <laughs> individually. Uh, but these differences in the regulation of the genes is probably what led to those differences. Uh, the brain differences. So for me, that's really interesting. And hopefully we get some insight into how our brains work and how our brains develop uh, based on these differences. Yeah. Many thanks for, for joining uh, Insight Talks. Thanks for joining us in another episode of Insight Talks. To find out more about MedEngine and how we are bridging medical science with business, head on to medengine.fi. Because there is so much more to hear, you can also access full-length uncut podcasts from each guest by clicking on the link below. Also, if you'd like to get on Insight Talks and fancy taking a chance on a game of Jenga, feel free to drop us a message.